Welcome back, everybody. It's our second hour as we roll all the way till 6 o'clock tonight right here on the Big Talker 1700. Jimmy B and TC, uh, cleverly disguised as Jim and Trent. Um, man, oh, man, I, 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 you know me. This is my favorite week. And t- correct me if I'm wrong, okay? And, and, I'm, and I rarely am. But doesn't, <laughs> <Liar>. it, but, <laughs> but doesn't it seem to you that because Iowa State's game was canceled and they never really played, it, it, it just kind of seems to me that the that the hype isn't really kind of kind of like what we thought it would be. Just just because nobody really has anything to go with on on Iowa State, have have you felt that, or do you see it a different way? No, no, I I think you're you're onto something here, Jim. Just because. You don't have anything to go on, and we're playing yeah. pretty much strictly a guessing game now. We're, we're guessing yeah. what we're going to see out of Iowa State, and you know, coming into this year, this is as high as I've ever been on an Iowa State football team coming into a season. But there are still questions that remain. You know, we we got to see 13 plays of football on Saturday night before the lightning and the rains came, and the game was canceled against South Dakota State. But you know, a question for this game. All right, Julian Good-Jones, he had the one-game suspension. He's back. He flips out there to left tackle. But this is a guy that's moved around a lot. How much flux is there going to be as it pertains to that? How is Colin Newell going to hold up at the center position? They've sung his praises, but this this is still a redshirt freshman really Mm -hmm. making his first career start now in Kinnick Stadium as a redshirt freshman against an incredibly good defensive line of Iowa. I'm I'm just... I'm just not sure how how we can really wrap our arms around Iowa State. I, I it's we know they got they they have terrific skill, a tremendous running back. They have a quarterback who's solid, wide receivers that can play, but we really didn't see anything on their offensive line. I mean, they they ran that little dump pass mm-hmm. that went for 50 yards and a touchdown, and that's all we got, Trent. We, we don't know if they can hold up against Iowa's pass rush. And on the defensive side of the ball, we, we really got nothing uh, on the Cyclones because they didn't have to do anything for the most part. And there was a little bit of a push from the defensive line of South Dakota State. South mm-hmm. Dakota State's getting a little push. What's that Iowa front going to do? It, it couples with defensively. And this is, to me, I think the biggest question of the week. And it's not... What is Iowa State? What, what happens not getting a full game underneath their belt? It is how they're going to hold up and how they play defensively with the same kind of scheme that we saw a year ago. They run three and four man fronts, but for the most part, when they were playing their best football last season, it was with the three man front. Well, does that 3 3 5 stack, is that going to work effectively against the way that Iowa's going to play? And they're going to play, yeah. as we know, with the fullback in there with two tight ends, sometimes three tight ends at a time on the field, how well does that hold up? Are they going to have to change throughout the game, different fronts, or are they going to go exclusively with a four-man front? If that's the case, how much depth is there going to be? And if it becomes mm-hmm. a game that's 17-13 late in the fourth quarter and they need to stop, they need to get the ball back, if they don't have that rotation, they don't have enough guys after Lima and Jaquan Bailey and and Wazariki on the outside. No, if, right. if those guys, they played 65, 70 snaps and really their first game action of the year, how much are they going to have left in the tank? I think that's what I'm going to look at. 
how that defense and the way that they played and played their best last season, how that's going to hold up against Iowa. Um, you, you made some solid points there. And for the Hawkeyes, I want to see if their passing game is any better. I think that's extremely important. I, I have this feeling that when Iowa State takes a look at that tape, they're going to go, oh, heck, we should just try to stack the box here a little bit and try to coerce them into throwing. Look, Nate Stanley can throw. We, we both know that. We saw it last year. But it certainly didn't work out very well for the Hawks in game one, although they really didn't need it with the blowout that took place in the second half. But uh, this is a much better football team that I was going to play than what they played in game one. So from that standpoint... If indeed they get stopped on first or second down and it's third and five, are they going to have, I guess, some sort of consistency in that passing game? Because we really didn't see that in game one. Yeah, this is where we're going to have to see the guy that scored the game winner a year ago, Miss Smith-Marset. Can he make yeah. a play blowing the top off and getting that defense to stay back a little bit? Can they, and in doing that, make that cloud defense have to take a step back and retreat? Another thing that, that I wonder about it is we know that the outside linebackers for Iowa State are incredibly good. You know, the season that Willie Harvey and Marcel Spears had a year ago really is probably better than Joel Lanning. They just didn't have the same story as Joel Lanning. But purely right. as linebackers yeah. go, those two guys were outstanding a year ago. Last year, remember, Iowa times in the passing game, they exploited Joel Lanning. Well, now you have a true freshman in that middle spot, and you have all new safeties behind it with the star position and the strong and free safeties with White and Iceworth. Iowa has two, three, say four really good tight ends, including their top two in Noah Fant and on the other side with TJ Hawkinson. How does the middle linebacker, how do the safeties keep up with those tight ends? This is a cat and mouse game. This is why this game's so intriguing. Jim, I know you like this week regardless of what it is. This is my yeah. favorite week, though, this week, this year, because the football matchups – they're actually fun to talk about, even if there is some guessing involved. I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th I think fans on both sides can't wait for this game. I just think that I think fans are still trying to figure out, just like you and I are, what Iowa State is all about because you never really got a chance to see it. You saw what happened with Iowa and their struggles in the first half when they led 3 nothing, and then when they kind of got it going in the second half and ended up blowing out the Huskies. So you you don't have that. You you don't have like a not even a clear picture. You don't have any picture at all of Iowa State except one play. And that's it. That's that's all you got. It was just a dump off pass that went big. So uh yeah, I, I, I mean I can't wait for the game. I just I just kinda think it's weird this this year because you have you have somewhat of a known in the Hawks and you still have a total unknown in the Cyclones. Well, we're given our local perspective of this game. Let's get a national perspective of it right now. Ben Kercheval from CBSSports.com. He joins us here on Jimmy B and TC. Ben Kercheval, how you doing today, bud? Doing good, man. Just picked up my dry cleaning. Yeah. So I got I got some I got some fresh threads. Nice, nice. Getting ready yeah. for the weekend. Your mean green got a nice victory over the weekend. I was on them, so that's the only reason that I know about that game. But we're not here to talk mean green football. we got to start here on the local level. It's the biggest game in the state of Iowa each and every year. It is the Cy-Hawk matchup, and 
different kind of intrigue this year. First of all, there is preseason buzz for Iowa State, something that rarely happens. Iowa, you know, that dark horse in the Big Ten West this season, they've been talked about as anticipated, taking kind of all the extracurriculars outside of the table, an actual football matchup that's fun to talk about. Give us your perspective as you look at it. Iowa comes in after the win against Northern Illinois, and of course Iowa State didn't get their game against South Dakota State. Yeah, I, so week two is a little bit of a low-key weekend. A uh, few few games with ranked teams. Uh, a lot of top 25 teams on the road as favorites, so there, there's a little bit of an upset potential there. So I think Iowa and Iowa State kind of fits in nicely in terms of having the stage elevated a little bit just with not really a ton of national storylines uh, elsewhere. But a really fun matchup. You mentioned that not, not really known about, uh, excuse me, not much known about Iowa State right now. Um, because they didn't play their first game. But I tell you, I mean, David Montgomery is a guy I've been riding, their, riding his train pretty much all offseason. I think he's maybe next to um, Rodney Anderson in Oklahoma. I think he's the most well-rounded running back in, in college football. So I, I think just getting to see him play is huge. And then uh, on the other side, Iowa, you mentioned taking care of Northern Illinois. That was without uh, two starting offensive linemen and a couple of defensive tackles. So they're, they're getting either, even stronger in the trenches. So, uh, fun game. I, I I would take Iowa at minus four uh, on that one, but you know every other year for about the past seven years, this has been decided by about a field goal. Yeah, there there's uh, some back and forth in this one. We've seen some highly entertaining games last year. Certainly at the forefront of that one, went to overtime. Iowa came back and got the victory. Ben, uh, let's broaden things out here a little bit. Let's start in Big Twelve territory, starting with Iowa State as we await their first official game. Well, from the negative side first, and uh, Texas. Two years in a row to Maryland. How are the natives down to your homeland with the Longhorns? Uh, patience is, is definitely running thin. I, I, Tom Herman, I, I thought, made a, a pretty big mistake in his post, post-game press conference when he said, well, you know, people are going to say that this looks exactly like last year, but, you know, I see this team every day. I see the change. And it sort of implied that, like, like we're too – like, we're too dumb to know what we just saw. And I think that didn't sit too well with, with people in Austin because they've supported this team through now, Trent, almost a decade of, of mediocrity. I mean, they've, they've still been there, and, and it's not something that they're used to. So not only is the, is the tough start uh, restless because it's, it's year two, this should really be the point where the program starts improving. It's also just hearing from your coach, like, oh, no, you, you think what you – you saw, but it's not really how it is. And I, I think people don't, if you're not winning, people aren't going to put up with that crap for very long. Understandable. At a program like Texas, the money invest, invested, the talent that is around there, is, is there anything different as college football continues to evolve? At Texas, I, I think some people might forget they had a long, long tenure where mediocrity kind of reigned until Mac Brown got there. Is yeah. Texas football a more difficult to be a big time, a national championship contender? Is it a more difficult job than most people think? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. It's it's not difficult from the resources perspective, mm-hmm. and the not and, and we we can mean that tangibly, but we also mean that intangibly. Support, you know, from the administration, from the alumni base. I mean that that makes things easier to to win too if you have. Uh, a culture behind your program. So it has those things, uh, has resources that are tangible, has resources that are a little bit more intangible. 
but sort of on the, the same side of that token, or the different side of that token is there's more cooks in the kitchen, right? It's, it, it takes a little bit of a different type of head coach to really succeed there as the CEO of a program. That can narrow uh, your, your pool of, of good candidates, you know, to a, you know, a lot smaller group. And so it's, there are positives and there are negatives to it, but I would just put it this way. There's no reason why Texas shouldn't be better, but, you know, if you have a couple of bad hires, you know, that'll set you back a long way, and even the best programs go through that. Interesting perspective on that, and, and Ben, uh, it's uh, Tom Herman, a lot was expected early on. How the season goes is uh, is still up in the air. A lot of people thought West Virginia was going to be the number two team behind Oklahoma this year. Nothing we saw on Saturday against Tennessee is going to change that. Who else are the contenders? K-State had to struggle and have a fourth quarter comeback to get past South Dakota in their opening game. Outside of Oklahoma and West Virginia, who else did you like in week one from the Big 12? Well, I mean, not a lot of huge games I would have been able to tell you anything. I mean, Texas Tech lost to Old Miss. All right, so you didn't quite get what you maybe thought you had there in, in Texas Tech. But, you know, TCU took care of Southern. And, uh, and Oklahoma State beat it was in Missouri State or, or somebody like that. So they, they took care of their business. It's kind of hard to say yet, but, you know, TCU has a huge game in a couple of weeks against Ohio State. I, I think that's going to be your litmus test to see, all right, can they compete with some of the top teams in the country? Ohio State's obviously going to be in the playoff conversation. Oklahoma is as well. They're on that caliber, and if TCU goes out and beats Ohio State, obviously it actually changes nothing as far as the Big 12 standings go. But the perception is, hey, TCU can, you know, they can play, and Oklahoma does have a legitimate challenger. Uh, Ben, I'm real curious if you had to pick one game this coming weekend for college football that you could watch, which one would it be? I really like Georgia-South Carolina. Um, Okay. what What I really like about watching Georgia play is that not very often, do they lose their, their even keel on a game? They win because they force everyone else to play their way, whether, you know, the defense, the running game. And that's not to say that Georgia's a low-scoring team. It's just that they can score points. They, they beat Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. It's just that they'll wear you down, and, and then they'll sort of take over on offense. And not too many teams have been able to knock them off of that over the past year or so. So they go on the road to a hostile environment in South Carolina who – I think could be that number two team in that division. So it's a chance for them to get a huge leg up early on that, that divisional race. And, you know, Debo Samuel is back healthy this year, guys. If they use him creatively, make sure he's not on press, you know, corners on the outside. I think he's the most dynamic offensive player on the field. So, again, leg up there for South Carolina. I would still take Georgia to win, but I think that one could be a lot of fun, big-time atmosphere. And as somebody that uh, fired this summer at a division winner ticket with South Carolina, I'm su- certainly rooting for the Gamecocks coming up this weekend. <laughs> hey, uh, Ben, in the Pac-12, it, it might be over for this conference after Washington continually shot themselves in the foot, takes the L to Auburn. It could be uh, Pac-12 is already dead conference walking here in 2018 as it pertains to the playoff. But an intriguing Week 2 matchup, stanford K.J. Costello, Bryce Love and Company against the youngster J.T. Daniels from USC. Too big of a moment for the freshman in this spot. Who do you got, Trojans and Cardinal? 
probably take Stanford in this one. USC beat them twice last year, but you know, they had Sam Darnold and, and just a, a great group of receivers. And, and this time around, I think the offense in that, that opening week game against UNLV just it, it wasn't quite on the same page, just took a little bit of time to click. I, I think that can be understandable for a freshman. Um, going on the road for the first time, it could be tough. To me, the, the difference, it could be Bryce Love for Stanford. I, I really think the difference is going to be J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. If anyone watched Stanford's week one game against San Diego State, he had, what, he had like 230 yards on like six mm-hmm. catches, three touchdowns. I mean, his, his catch-to-touchdown ratio over the past two games, dating back to last year, was like 11-6. to six. Uh, He's just this huge body on the outside that if you don't have big physical corners, you're just you're going to struggle because he can just box everyone out. I mean, that's the basis of their, their passing offense. So I like Stanford in that game, but if Arcega Whiteside goes out and just falls out again, I think people are going to be looking to him to be, you know, maybe the most outstanding receiver in that conference and, and a potential Bolitnikov guy. He's just he's a production machine. Ben, take me uh, still on the West Coast. I, I find this to be an interesting matchup, and the only reason is is because of Herm Edwards and his longtime association on doing national television broadcasts uh, in studio on football, and then he takes over the Arizona State Sun Devils. They win their opener, didn't play that tough of an opponent in uh, Texas San Antonio. But Michigan State is coming out there, ranked 15th in the nation right now, and they struggled like crazy to beat an up-tempo, smaller Utah State team. It's going to be, and I looked at the weather because I'm kind of like a weather guy, I looked at the weather, it's going to be over 100 degrees at kickoff. Could this be the undoing of Michigan State against Arizona State and put Herm Edwards on the map? Well, God, when you put it like that. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought I had like an answer ready to go like five minutes ago. And then all of a sudden it was just like, whoa, God, I got to go back and rethink this entire game. Uh, No, to to your point, Arizona State has a matchup problem that I – Michigan State, I think, is going to have problems defending. And that's going to be Manny Wilkins, uh, a quarterback to uh, Neil Harry, at wide receiver. Big kid, 6'4", about 215. Um, I, I, again, just, I think he's going to be one of the best players in that conference this year. So that's a real matchup problem for a team that just struggled against the pass uh, in, in Utah State and struggled against that tempo. So that, I think, combined, obviously, with the Heat, is, is going to make things pretty difficult for Michigan State. I don't know that Arizona State has a, a ton of dudes outside of those guys who are going to be able to go out and, and just, you know, be matchup problems or, or have a ton of production on defense. I, I mean, I think Michigan State overall is a little bit better set there. So I'll take Michigan State to win, but it's one of my upset alert games of the weekend, too. And Because if, if nothing else, guys, Nothing would be more on brand of Herm Edwards than to like kick off Pac-12 after dark. Like he would be the guy <laughs> to do that before anybody else did. Uh, you're you're exactly right. It's going to be a, a good one, and we know the history of Big Ten teams going out to the left coast for regular season mm-hmm. games hasn't been very pretty throughout the years. Hey, as always, Ben, good catching up with you. Thank you so much for your time today. All right, thanks, guys. Take care. 
Ben Kirchival, CBSSports.com, as we stay, start to take a look forward to week number two of the schedule. Jimmy B, uh, you mentioned that matchup, and I gave you Utah State on Friday. I, I love them. You did. And that matchup yep. with Michigan State, certainly it was even tighter than I anticipated, but I was uh, taking a look at that game and, and looking a little closer, and I'll probably end up firing at it by the time we get to a Friday show. As I was looking at Arizona State, though, did you, uh, did you see the young man that had 16 carries for 131 yards and a touchdown for the Sun Devils in that win against the Roadrunners from San Antonio? No, 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 I did not. Well, it's a name you should might I, know. Should I pay attention? Okay. Eno Benjamin. Oh, I, the Eno Benjamin from Iowa Hawkeye uh, lore? Yes, the very same wow. Eno Benjamin. At a big, big game, week number one. I'll try to do the same coming up on Saturday night to cap off what should be a great day of college football, Jimmy B. Looking forward to it. Good to get Ben's perspective on the Iowa State game. And we got to get a break. We're coming back on the other side. We'll go to the NFL next. Look around the National Football League with Ryan Van Bibber as we take you up until 6 o'clock tonight. Back with more Jimmy B and TC. Welcome back. We've been talking a lot of college football today, but... Don't want to shortchange the NFL. Week one upon us starts tomorrow night. The defending champion Philadelphia Eagles still feels a little bit odd to say that. Taking on the Atlanta Falcons and joining us right now to talk about that, take a look at week one and the season as a whole, our good friend Ryan Van Bibber. Ryan, we've talked a lot throughout this summer. We're finally here. Preseason talk no more. We'll have real games that actually matter starting tomorrow night. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm uh, I'm kind of tired of talking. I've, it's been a uh, six months of sort of theoretical football here. I'm, I'm ready to talk about the real thing. So, you know, a, a lot of times I try to stay away from my favorite team. The Bears have not, frankly, been very good. It's been difficult to talk about them, and I'm fine not talking about them. I, I understand it. In our marketplace, the Vikings matter, the Packers matter, the Chiefs matter, and the Bears matter. They all do to varying degrees. But when a team's not good. We have three other teams that we can point to, and those three other teams have been pretty good over the last couple of years. So there hasn't been a whole lot to talk about throughout the seasons with the Chicago Bears. Is it going to be different this year? Let's start. I, I think so. It, it, it feels I, I'm a kind of fan that I don't want to get too invested. I, I've, been, I've had my heart broken <laughs> too many times. That's the kind of fan that I am. So, so sell it to me. Why the Chicago well, Bears are going to be good in 2018? Well, I mean, I, you know, I think they're going to be a really competitive team this year. You look at, you know, look at the defense last year. I, I was actually, you know, in, in the wake of the Khalil Mack trade, I went back and kind of ran through the numbers again and, and kind of down into the weeds of them just because, I, you know, I, I remembered the Bears' defense being surprisingly effective last year. And, you know, I think they were a little bit better than they even got credit for. And, and you know, you look, Vic Fangio is a great defensive coordinator. You know what he's. You know what he's got now is sort of an Alden Smith, Justin Smith thing, which he was so successful with in San Francisco during his time there. And you have, uh, you know, obviously Khalil Mack in that Justin Smith role. It's a, uh, you know, they're going to be a heck of a unit to play. I mean, and, the, and you think about the division that they play in with the Vikings and the Packers and Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford and the Lions. I mean, that's a, those are three teams that all have experience quarterbacks including you know the probably the best quarterback playing the game right now in Aaron Rodgers and that's a you know that's a really effective check on them because I think Trubisky's got a bright future he's only in his second season you know the very off 
their quarter situation. Quite obviously, with the Packers or even the Vikings are just yet, but this helps them, you know, level the playing field to a certain extent. I don't want to oversell it. I don't want to get any Bears fans' hopes, you know, pumped up for for double digit wins or anything. But this is going to be a competitive team this season. So tell us more about Khalil Mack. We know a guy that can get to the quarterback. Second year, 15 sacks. He's had 40 and a half to his career at this point. He's that edge rusher and feels like really a perfect fit for what Vic Fangio wants to do with the Bears defense. Yeah, he's great. And, you know, he's really multifaceted. I mean, you, you know, you've got a lot of pass rushers that can kind of, they're more limited in what they can do. They're, you know, they're either sort of a hand in the dirt or four, four-man front defensive end, or they're, you know, strictly an outside linebacker. But, you know, Mack's going to do a little bit of all that. And I think the great thing is, is with Fangio, you're going to see a lot of those kind of pass-rushing stunts with two or three guys. And, and you know, he's not, I'm not going not gonna to oversell it and say he's going to be lining up at, uh, you know, in the middle of the defensive line. But you'll see him there from time to time. And when that's kind of stuff, when you have a creative coach that plays that kind of game with his talent, it's a... Uh, you know, there's a lot to look forward to because Mac's a heck of a player and, and Fangio's going to be all about getting him the right matchups. Interesting that you would say that because they are matched up against Green Bay. So where are you right now on the Packers and how does Aaron Rodgers, if he can stay upright the entire season, uh, how does this all play out for Green Bay? Well, I, you know, here's the, here's my feelings on this. I, I picked, I know the Vikings are a popular pick, but I'm still picking the Packers to win that division this year because I just Aaron Rodgers looks healthy. He looks great. They went out and spent money on free agents. Jimmy Graham, obviously, the, the top of the list comes to mind there. That's not something we've ever seen the Packers really do much of. And, uh, you know, they get a new general manager. They give Aaron Rodgers a new contract. And they actually kind of did something else he's always sort of lobbied for. And that's, you know, going out and getting those kind of free agents. And that's going to be, uh, you know, that Aaron Rodgers-Jimmy Graham combination in the first zone I mean, I'm not surprised as long as they're healthy that Jimmy Graham's going to finish the season with 10 or 12 touchdowns. He's just that kind of weapon that they haven't had in a long time. It's a, it's a, you know, it's going to be a, a tough offense to beat. And I and I hate to use cliches, but I think when it fits in this case, and Aaron Rodgers got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder from not playing last year and missing the playoffs, and, and he's got a new contract. He's you know already one of the best players in the game, so. uh it's just going to be a – they're going to be a tough out for anybody that plays them. A motivated Aaron Rodgers. That certainly could be a scary mm. sight for everybody in the NFC. Well, the betting favorite continues to be, as you said, the Minnesota Vikings, a favorite for a lot of people. Love the roster. I guess the question remains with Kirk Cousins. He's had mild success in terms of a winning quarterback, but certainly not anything substantial. How he'll fit and – Maybe if things go awry, pretty difficult schedule for the Vikings this year. How people are going to react? The Vikings, for the first time in a long time, have gone all in. They spent their quarterback. What happens if the Vikings get off to a slow start? Well, I mean, I would just sort of, you know, (laughs) stay positive. It's a good team. I mean, but, you know, they played so well last year that they've got a little bit of a tougher schedule than they had. and, And, you know, they're going to have a mark on them. I mean, it's a top-heavy NFC, and a lot of those teams are going to be wanting to kind of, you know, take out the Vikings just to kind of prove their mettle. So it's a, uh, they'll have a mark on them. But, you know, you got to be positive that Dalvin Cook's back. I mean, that's a huge, huge addition to that offense. You saw, you saw them string together a pretty good running game last year without him, but 
you know, it's easy to forget what a great player Cook was at Florida State and what he'll be in the NFL, and he's healthy. He's had a full year to get healthy again. So, it's uh, you know, that's a really positive thing for the Vikings, too. That defense is loaded. It's, it's uh, and, and, you know, Coach Zimmer is probably one of the better head coaches in the NFL these days. Take me to Kansas City. Everybody excited about big arm Patrick Mahomes can throw it a mile. Are they going to be in trouble? Uh, look, he's he's really f- pretty much playing in his first real full-time season. Uh, is this something that Kansas City Chiefs fans, all excited, might be disappointed midway through? Well, I mean, you know, maybe. I mean, I, you know, he's young enough that he's probably going to have some ups and downs, but he's in a great situation because he's had time to learn the offense. He knows the coaching staff really well. And he's got a great offensive line, and he's got outstanding weapons to throw the ball to. So that really uh, that makes all the difference for a young quarterback. Uh, you know, I worry if I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm much more worried about the defense than I am Mahomes and the offense. Who uh, who do you like most in the AFC West? And is this a year where, dare I say, eight and eight might win this division? <laughs> you kind of wonder that a little yeah. bit. I mean, the Chiefs are so well coached. I think that they're you know, they're probably, they have the edge over the rest of the division. I mean, Denver, Denver certainly has the defense. I, I wonder if they, uh, they can kind of keep Case Keenum upright with that offensive line. But, uh, you know, they have some weapons at least for him to throw to. So it'll be, a, it'll be a, you know, for the records might not match up to it, but uh, it'll be an interesting division to watch. For the for the wild cards and the teams making the playoffs, it seems, at least as we look at it right now, that the NFC is loaded compared to the AFC. Do you see it that way as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the you know, I <laughs> it's not nobody's ever really enthused about unless you are a New England fan is enthused about picking the Patriots to win the AFC, but I think that's just kind of the way it is until further notice. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, interesting teams to watch in that division. I mean, you, know, you look at the Houston Texans, if they are if they have a healthy roster, you know, with Watt and, and, and Deshaun Watson back this year, I think they can they can make some noise, but they're just not, you know, it's a, they've got to show me a little bit. And in the NFC, you've got the Saints, the Vikings, the Rams. <laughs> I mean, it's just a... You know, it's a, it's going to be a tough division, or tough conference, rather. Yeah, well, do you see Philly? Yeah, do you see Philly repeating or not? Yeah, I mean, they really, ha- you know, it, it, the question I have with Philly is, is are we going to get the Cinderella version of Nick, Nick, Nick Foles or the pumpkin version? Because I think he's going to probably <laughs> end up playing a little bit more than Eagles fans want to admit this year. It, because Carson Wentz, you know, he's still not cleared for contact. He's going to come back at some point this season, but, you know, he injured his, his leg pretty late in the year, and he hasn't had a full season at 100% to get back into game shape, and that's, that makes that comeback year a little tough because the player can, they can get back on the field, but they're not really back to 100% just yet, and you, you look at how much work that they have Wentz doing outside of the pocket and with his legs, and that's going to make a big difference. You know, uh, as you go through and you mention – the AFC, not as many teams that feel like they're at the top. And compared to the NFC, there's always a surprise team, a team that seemingly comes out of nowhere to make the playoffs. Jacksonville a year ago, you could even put Tennessee in that boat, the Rams in the NFC. Do you have a team that you have designated, circled right now, that most people aren't talking about, you think is going to be a playoff team in 2018? 
Well, I mean, you know, I mentioned the Texans. I think they're definitely a possibility. I'm interested to see what the Titans can do just because, you know, if Marcus Mariota can kind of get back into form and and live up to expectations, that's a really good team, too. So uh, (laughs) it feels weird to be talking about three three really good teams in the uh, AFC South, but, you know, we could see that this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I find it real interesting. What's the best, the best player story coming out? Is it the return of a, a certain quarterback with the Indianapolis Colts? Is it when Carson Wentz comes back? It, what, what do you What do you think is going to be a story that is going to grab us other than just the games? Well, I mean, you know, you really could. I've kind of lumped them all together because it's the year of the injured quarterback comeback. I mean, that's what, you know, with Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. Andrew Luck, Ryan Tannehill. I mean, these guys are all sort of the, uh, you know, to one degree or another, the, the great hopes of those franchises. Right? You know, I think that, uh, you know, the future of those franchises depends largely on what those guys are capable of doing this season. Now, we know Rodgers is going to be, I don't think there's any question he's going to be fine. He's going to be vintage Aaron Rodgers. And then you, you start working your way down the list. Is Deshaun Watson going to be as exciting as he was in his breakout, those six games he had such a breakout season last year? Is Tannehill ever going to kind of live up to franchise quarterback expectations that the Dolphins have? Because if he doesn't, they've got to move on after this season. Andrew Luck, I mean, how fun was it to watch Andrew Luck two years ago? But, you know, I... I'm dubious as to whether we'll see that guy just yet again. I, I hope we do because he's one of the more fun players in the NFL to watch, but uh, it may take a season to get back there. Well, we know another conversation that is going to dominate, especially early on here probably week one, is what's happening with the national anthem. The The NFL screwed this up, obviously, <laughs> to the nth degree. Once we get past the initial week or two, I'm sure it'll die down, but... Uh, Ryan, are you ready for the story and uh, for editing everything that's going to have to come in for that? <laughs> it's, I, I literally was just hung up the phone for an editorial meeting about that before yeah. you guys called me. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be there. You know, this is an election year, and you've already, it's not just, you know, the president's Twitter feed where you're seeing comments about it. I mean, we've seen it in a pretty contentious Senate race in Texas between, you know, a pretty tightly contested pair of candidates down there so it's a uh, it's it's going to be a fun everyone's going nike's not going to be the only outfit that's using it as a fundraiser this year so it's a uh, mm-hmm. you know it's not going to go away i think the question is is does it advance does the conversation advance beyond just sort of easy political points for both sides i mean i think that uh you know it's easy to take our eyes off the, the fact that hey these players are actually doing a lot of things in their community they're not just you know taking a knee during the national anthem and, right. and being done with it. I mean, Colin Kaepernick's given a million dollars. Malcolm Jenkins adv- is advocating for legislative changes. Uh, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, these guys are actually out putting their money where their mouth is. So, uh, you know, I, to me, that's the thing I want to keep the focus on and not the, you know, the, just the politics of it. I thought it was real interesting, too, when a couple of the networks announced that they're not going to show the anthem 
they've been doing that for as long as I can remember. I, I don't know why they even had to make a, an announcement like that. That uh, in, in, in games, all the games that I broadcast, we always did our open just before the anthem began, and then they ran the commercials, and then we came back after the uh, national anthem getting ready to play. I, I, it, it amazes me that they just keep, it, it seems anyway, they just keep putting their foot in it. Yeah, that's what was really curious to me about that. I mean, I mean, what CBS and ESPN are the two networks that have said they yeah. weren't going to show it. I never, you know, <laughs> I on Sundays I usually watch Red Zone anyway, so I haven't, I haven't really seen it, seen it to pay attention to. And the only time you really pay attention to the national anthem is like what the Super Bowl or the S- Super Bowl the championship yeah. games where they have you know mega stars come in and do it. So, I mean, I. The whole thing, this whole time, I mean, the NFL has tried to make it go away, and every time they've tried to make it go away, they've ended up making it worse. And now, I mean, now there's just, there's absolutely, whatever they end up doing is not going to keep it out of the, you know, the political races this fall. So, Well, politics uh, also grabbed another rung with the new Nike endorsement of Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. and as that came out the other day and the firestorm that that created. Business decision. This is not marketed to people like you and me, Ryan, guys a uh, little later on, or Jim, much later on in life. This is something hey, hey, hey. <laughs> This is something geared, though. It's marketed to 14 to 19-year-olds. You know, us white dudes sitting talking on the radio, is it really our place to worry about something like that? I, it just, I, it's difficult for me to wrap my mind around all of this. Yeah, I mean, I'm always a little taken aback when people are, are mad enough to, <laughs> to light a jersey on fire because they don't like the quarterback or to, to burn the shoes because they don't like, you know, the commercial that a company, you know, you know I mean, my chief criteria for buying shoes are, are they on sale and are they comfortable? So right. it's sort of yeah. like, <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I can think of other things to do with shoes besides burn them. So I, it's always... It's always interesting when people get that fired up about something. I, I, I wish that there are, you know, yep. um, uh, you know, more power to Nike. I mean, you know, they're a business and they've got shoes and, and jackets and, and gear to sell. So that's, you know, they they think that they've got a good ad campaign to go with, and I think it'll probably prove to be that way. Especially, you know, like you said, this is uh, this is stuff that's marketed toward toward a younger group of a uh, younger group of consumers, and it'll hit well with that. Mm-hmm. I, I got an idea. Instead of burning uh, stuff that you don't like, please just take it to Goodwill so that somebody who's not as fortunate can uh, have some clothes and shoes. I, I, exactly. I, I do that all the time. Yep. I don't do. I, I don't understand that. Why? You know, if you don't like it, or you got, or you're bent out of shape at the company. All right, get rid of it. Just take it to yep. Goodwill. Okay. Good. Yeah. That's, I I told somebody here the other day that was you know at the store was talking about it, and I said you know. If you don't want your shoes anymore, the PTA Clothing Bank in town is more than happy to have them. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Well, Ryan, uh, we move back to what we're going to see on the football field. Let's start with tomorrow night. Week one gets underway. The defending champion Eagles, as mentioned earlier, against Atlanta. Philly just a one-point favorite now as uh, money continues to pour in on the underdog Falcons. What do you think we're going to see game one tomorrow night? I think it'll be a good game. I'm not. I'm not really sure. I think I ended up picking Philadelphia just because maybe giving them a little edge for being the home team and, and the season opener, and obviously the emotional high of raising a banner in front of that fan base, which we've seen is pretty a 
is pretty hyped and, um, and has been pretty hyped all summer for the, that Super Bowl win. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised for Atlanta to maybe steal it this week because I think Atlanta's defense has sort of a point to make this year. You know, that was, I think, their biggest hindrance to their, uh, their title hopes last season. And I think they're going to be, uh, they've got a good matchup because the Eagles line is, is, is a very good offensive line, but they're not at 100% this year. And they're going to be susceptible to that pass rush that Atlanta has. Trent, just think what you said. Tomorrow night we have real football. No, none of these, be. none of these charades. Guys that aren't going to be on the fifty-three man roster. Uh, <laughs> stars that didn't play in the exhibition season at all. Tomorrow night, Ryan, we get real, real football. Man, oh man, I can't wait. I'm ready. If, they just, if they'll bring back that fall weather, too, we'll be all set. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Ryan, thanks as always for your time. Great catching up with you today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. That's Ryan Van Bibber joining us here, talking a little football, Jimmy B. Good to get back in yeah. that realm. And Speaking of the game, tomorrow night we have you covered here on 1700 with our Westwood One coverage as we will bring you Atlanta at Philadelphia coming up this weekend, Friday night. Our Central Iowa Game of the Week takes us to Urbandale, where the Jayhawks host the undefeated 2-0 Rail Splitters from the Ooh, south side, good. Des Moines-Lincoln. That'll be our Game of the Week with the scoreboard show to follow Saturday. A doubleheader from college football, UCLA at Oklahoma in Game 1, followed by Clemson at Texas A&M. Sunday, Chiefs at Chargers, followed by Bears-Packers Sunday Night Football. And then Monday night, the doubleheader, Jimmy B, after our program. Yeah. We'll go right into Jets, Lions, and Rams, Raiders to follow. We got some good football coming up. Oh, man, this is awesome. Uh, you, look, we, we made it through the summer. <laughs> we, we tried to create as many hypotheticals as we possibly could. And now, Trent, finally, finally, it is the real deal. I, I can't wait. Going to be good. We're taking our time out, our final one of the hour. Coming back on the other side to put a cap on things, it's Jimmy B and TC on 1700. Back with you one final time, Jimmy B and TC, Jim Brinson, Trent Condon, talk the world of sports with you. Tonight, Jimmy B, well, we had some day baseball going on today. Football mm-hmm. will take the airwaves tomorrow night with Philly and Atlanta. But uh, what catches your eye this evening, Mr. Brinson? Well, I'm going to watch a little baseball with Milwaukee and the Cubs, obviously, because of what's at stake here to see if the Brewers can indeed uh, continue to cut in to that Chicago Cubs lead in the National League Central. I am going to check out some tennis. I know, my man, you were watching it last night. We were both up late yep. tweeting about Rafael Nadal, and that match was great. Uh, this evening, though, it's Novak Djokovic and John Millman, the guy who upset Roger Federer. And I think this will be a highly entertaining match as well, just like last night's. But even more importantly, Millman said afterwards he was more concerned after he had beaten Federer about who he was going to select in his fantasy draft. And he said between Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell, dude, you don't want Le'Veon Bell. He's not even going to play. You want to take Todd Gurley. I'm just trying to give him some advice early here, kid. Well, hopefully he's listening. If he is, uh, good work out of you, Jimmy B. With that, we are out of here. Back tomorrow starting at noon, myself and Ken Miller over your lunch hour from 12 until 2. And Jimmy B and TC on your drive home 
from 4 until 6 o'clock. Enjoy your night in sports. We'll be back tomorrow on 1700.